Thank you for joining us for Opportunity Makers. Notch was founded by two immigrants, and ahead of National Immigrants Day, we wanted to showcase and profile storytellers and leaders across different sectors and industries to prove that immigrants by and large are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers. Today, we have Brad Jakeman, who is the co-founder of Rethink Food and senior advisor at Boston Consulting Group. Formerly, Brad was an executive at PepsiCo and a board member of the Association of National Advertisers. Okay, so hello everyone. My name is Anda and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch. And I'm here joined by Garrison, who is our head of people and comms, and Brad Jakeman, who's a senior advisor to BCG and was recently brought on board by BCG to help them build their CMO practice. Welcome, Brad, and congrats on the new role. Thank you, Anda. Hey, Garrison. Lovely to be here. So, Brad, Garrison and I... Remotely be here. Yeah, be in the Zoom room together. Um, Garrison and I are uh, have been talking about, you know, the importance of diversity for basically since Garrison joined the company, and um, we're we're pushing on many different fronts to make sure that we're promoting diversity not only within our company but but way beyond. And this project is very close to my heart because, as you know, um, I'm an immigrant and. Um, Garrison actually was the one who came up with the idea and made me aware that there is such a thing as National Immigrants Day, um, October 28th. And we wanted to basically celebrate immigrants who have made it in the U.S. and really show that immigrants are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers, which I think is sometimes how we are portrayed. But also talk a little bit about how does immigration intertwine with diversity um, and what's the relationship between the two. So um, I wanted to ask Garrison to jump in and start asking you a couple of questions, but I guess I'll shoot off the first one, which is, um, I would love for you to tell us what's your coming to America story. Well, um, my coming to America story was uh, like a, a lot of people I know who immigrated here happened more by uh, serendipity than it was by strategy. And I was working, I left Australia, I, I tell this, I never thought I would leave Australia. And I tell this story all the time. Um, I left Australia for six months, 24 years ago. And the only reason I left Australia is because I was working in an advertising agency at the time. And I noticed that all the people that were more senior than me were, had international experience. So I was like, wow, this is a box I'm going to have to check at some point, but I really don't want to leave Australia or my friends are here, my family is here. I never imagined myself living overseas, um, but I guess I have to do it for my career. So I um, made it known in Ogilvy that I wanted to move and I was given a choice between London and New York. And I was like, wow, I could never move to New York. That's just like way too scary, way too busy. Um, London's probably a good uh, place to go because it's kind of culturally kind of very similar to Australia in a lot of ways. I won't feel a significant culture shock in going there. And so I left Australia and I arrived in London and I literally did not know a single person in the entire country. I remember thinking to myself at the time, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, would like it's such a weird feeling to know that not a single person in this country would know who I am or particularly cared. Um, but I... Um, 
I thought that, I, as I said, I would be there for six months. I loved the expat experience. I love meeting new people um, that were also expats like me and also um, people, Brits as well. And I was living this kind of weird life where I was based in London, but my client was in New York and all of my team was in New York and I was commuting backwards and forwards to New York every week from London. And it never really occurred to anybody that I should actually be located in New York until kind of my client said to me, why are you doing this? Why don't you just move to New York? And I thought, well, that's a great idea. And um, so Ogilvy transferred me to New York and I was extremely lucky because it happened at about the same time as three of my very close friends from Australia had also moved to New York. So it was kind of instant friends just add water. And um, here I am. I've now been in New York uh, for 24 years. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier, Brad, um, kind of the idea around it, that Australia to London to New York didn't necessarily seem like a huge adjustment in terms of kind of the cultural shifts. But what would you say were some of the possible like shocking or maybe surprising adjustments that you experienced? Like, in coming to America from London or, or Australia? Um, look, everything is um, so... I, I think it's interesting when you come from a place like Australia to, or the UK or any kind of uh, predominantly white Western country, you, you're experiencing this thing where everything kind of looks similar, but everything is so different. And you realise quickly that um, the type of humour is different. Um, the idiom is different. So phrases are used and you don't know what it means. Or you use phrases and people look at you strangely. I realised that I didn't think I had a particularly strong Australian accent, but there were a number of people who told me they couldn't understand me when I was presenting in meetings. And, and then there's the whole kind of overlay of kind of how um, Australians and and the Brits tend to be very irreverent and a lot of people didn't really know how to um, interpret that from me. And so you just kind of realise that um, even though the place looks very similar and familiar, um, really um, the, the cultures are very, very different and the language to some degree um, is very, very different. Um, and so it, it I, I will say that it was kind of fun learning all of that. It was kind of fun watching people trying to kind of back translate and interpret me. Um, so it was, that was a fun experience. Yeah. I mean, Australia is an interesting place, I think, um, as it relates to Americans, because I feel like we as Americans feel like we know a lot about Australia, but seemingly don't. Um, Anna knows this, but at Notch, we have several Aussies. And I think a lot of the humor amongst our team often is just how little we actually know about Australia. Um, and obviously, a lot of that is centered around, I think, the Hollywood uh, kind of viewpoint of Australia. So I have always found that that particularly interesting because I feel like the adjustment, to your point, is a little bit more challenging than it seems on its face, considering, you know, coming from a, to your point, white you know, Western civilization and coming to America, there are certain privileges that, you know, you are likely afforded, but there are also some challenges as it relates to 
just the cultural shifts, but also the expectations, the way in which I'm sure race plays a, a factor in America is very different um, or like the story around that. So I'm sure there were unique well, challenges look, there. Only um, after I spoke to a lot of my friends, because what tends to happen when you, uh, when you immigrate to a country, you tend to form friendships very quickly with fellow immigrants. And um, what is really surprising and shocking and worth reminding ourselves of all the time is my experience moving here was meaningfully different to many of my friends who are black, brown, Asian, um, and don't come from a country where the majority of the populace kind of looks like um, kind of white America. And um, it's really shocking when you have those shared experiences. And um, I remember a friend of mine who um, was much more senior than me um, at Ogilvy had also moved at roughly the same time I had from um, the UK but he was black and we would um, go out and Ogilvy at that time was um, based over in Hell's Kitchen. So you didn't want to be walking in those days um, around there too much at night. It was kind of the den of iniquity. Um, but one night he's like, try this experiment. You watch me trying to get a cab and then see what happens. And I watched four cabs pass him on the street with little light on their roof uh, glowing, so they were available. And then he said, why don't you try? And he stepped back and I walked forward and the first cab I hailed stopped. And that was just such a, and he, he was laughing. Um, I don't know how he found it within himself to laugh, but he was laughing and I realized that my day-to-day -day reality as a white immigrant to this country was very, very different than um, those friends that I mentioned that were not, um, were not white. And that was just so shocking to me because I, he was like so much more senior and accomplished than me at Ogilvy, went to all the best schools um, in Europe and blah, 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 blah. And here I just watched a very um, real example of how our daily existences differed and how much privilege um, I was endowed with simply by virtue of the color of my skin. Brad, um, just to follow up on that, I guess, I'm curious, how do you think of the relationship between immigration and diversity? Well, I think it's what I always make a point of doing under whenever I talk about diversity is start with why it matters, because we tend to talk about d diversity is de rigueur to talk about at the moment, but uh, not a lot of people know why we talk about it other than kind of it's quote unquote the right thing to do or um, it, it, is a, it is a proper thing to do, whatever. Diversity, in my experience, is a critical component to innovation and a critical component to bringing um, amazing growth ideas to the table for companies. And 
Um, it's actually very intuitive when you think about it. A problem solved by people sitting around the table, all of the same gender, all of the same skin color, all of the same educational background, all of the same um, socioeconomic background, and so on. Um, that problem is never going to be solved um, or the opportunity grasped as well as if you brought a whole group of other people to the table that had very different backgrounds and very different life experiences and was able to view the problem or opportunity from lots of different angles. And so I think it's really important that we kind of ground ourselves in why we talk about, in, in, the, in a business context, why we talk about the importance of diversity and um, diverse teams over and over and over and over and over again in multiple studies always proven to deliver better results than homogeneous teams. Um, and so I think that, that that in combination, kind of really knowing that and witnessing that, because I have been fortunate to work predominantly in uh, companies that were very diverse, with some exceptions, but predominantly very diverse. So I was able to kind of witness firsthand kind of the power of, um, of diverse teams and what they can deliver. Um, and that's why I think, I think of uh, diversity probably in a, in a slightly different way than a lot of people because not only as a business leader, I've seen the value of diversity, but as an immigrant myself, I kind of feel like I contribute to that in some way. Yeah. And in what way would you, or what unique values do immigrants bring to the workplace? Or have you seen in terms of adding to that overall diversity of thought within an organization? Well, we're often not encumbered by kind of received wisdoms and status quo um, because um, and, and I'm kind of diverse on a couple of uh, levels. One, as an immigrant, I'm kind of non-American. I'm an American now, but I started off not being American. And as gay also, you are, I am part of a, a group that has historically um, suffered uh, prejudice and discrimination. And um, so I've kind of... I think that when you don't, one, you don't bring um, received wisdoms and two, when you don't buy into the status quo because you've actually never been the status quo um, and my good friend Cindy Gallup talks about this all the time in terms of gender diversity um, in the kind of when you are not part of a world that was formed, built and constructed uh, by white straight men um, in order for white straight men to prosper in it largely. When you're outside of that system, you can see a lot of the fault lines and you can also um, make a contribution that is um, very unique and different because you're not part of that status quo. Yeah, and you speak to intersectionality there. A little bit, but also about kind of the indiv uh, the invisible nature of immigration, but also queerness. You know, um, as a queer person myself, I I understand that oftentimes that identity 
is invisible to the naked eye, so to speak, as is, you know, being an immigrant um, is very often, you know, invisible, um, especially uh, to white individuals, um, you know, until really sharing that story. So it's that unique perspective that, you know, um, can sometimes pass, quote unquote, for lack of a better term. Um, but ultimately, there's layers there that I think, you know, can oftentimes be glossed over and not really seeing the full person, um, you know, being, you know, coming to work or, you know, in your day to day interactions. And I know I felt that as a gay person myself, but curious how you've, how you've identified or dealt with that within your organization of kind of authenticity and making sure people understand those layers and kind of uh, see you for yeah, who you are. Kind of on the, the kind of gay side, um, it's weird because, um, and, and you're in a very kind of privileged position in many ways because the diverse parts of you, um, whether it's the uh, the fact that I'm an immigrant or the fact that I'm gay don't present themselves immediately when I walk into the room. And what that means is that um, people kind of, uh, versus my other friends who do read more diverse, either because of the colour of their skin or a physical disability or whatever have you, um, I notice from the moment they walk into the room, they're treated differently. Whereas I think that um, when you don't kind of present in an obvious way, you're much more welcomed much more quickly. And then by the time people get to understand those things that make you different, they've already come to accept you. And so those things are not um, necessarily as big a barriers as they, as they could be. It's just a very, I mean, I just never forget, and I do a lot of, um, when I can, lecturing at uh, colleges, and uh, kids tell me kind of, what is the one thing I want them to know? A lot of people ask kind of, what is the one thing I want to impart to these kids? And that is that if you're uh, in this country, just by being in a tertiary education setting, you are already enjoying extreme privilege. If you happen to be white and in that university or tertiary education setting, you enjoy another level of privilege. Privilege. If you're male, you enjoy another level of privilege. And if you're straight, you enjoy another level of privilege. So if you're one of those people, then really think about how you can leverage your privilege to make society better as, as opposed to making society more diverse. Because um, through nothing that you have earned, um, with, with the exception perhaps of being in a tertiary education environment, all of that was just kind of given to you straight off the bat. So think about how you use that for good, how you use that to help other people who don't enjoy those privileges. Um, and, and kind of that's the, that's the advice I always give, um, give people when I'm asked on the topic. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's great color. Um, as it relates to kind of the way in which brands and or immigrant stories, you know, are told, oftentimes, especially in America, immigration is politicized and there seems to be a lens, and I think Onda has spoken about this, but there seems to be a lens of like an opportunity taker versus say an opportunity maker. 
And so we'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of how you, what uniqueness immigrants bring to the table, but also what misconceptions people may have about immigrants that you find to be either untrue or or unfounded. Well, let's also just say that that phenomena that you're referring to um, relative to the history of this country is relatively new in, in terms of a populist um, viewpoint. Uh, this country was founded by immigrants. Immigrants were uh, for a long time viewed as the backbone of the country. They brought new ideas, they brought new industries. Um, they had a mindset around them of coming to this country to make a better life for their family. So um, you could argue that their work ethic was stronger. And that's the reputation that um, immigrants uh, used to enjoy. And our country, as I said, was built on immigrants, on immigration, as to were many um, industrialised Western countries. What's happened, unfortunately, um, without getting kind of to uh, 30,000 foot, but over the course of the last 20 years, um, what we have seen, particularly in this country, is an asymmetrical distribution of wealth coming from the significant advancements of our, in our economy. And so you've seen um, a very small group of people get incredibly rich and you've seen the vast majority of people either staying as they were or actually being worse off. And so when you're in that group, particularly the group that's getting worse off, you're left scratching your head as to how that could possibly happen. Like you keep reading about how the US economy um, growth is is strong. You see uh, one kind of billionaire after the other being made. Um, And you wonder why your family situation relative to, to kind of generations beforehand really hasn't meaningfully moved forward. And it's a very complicated answer to that question. And often as humans, when we're faced with a complicated problem, if we're given a simple answer, we tend to really gravitate toward that. And for reasons unknown, um, politically, um, it became uh, an opportunity for certain people in the political landscape of this country to give those people an answer for why their situation had not significantly improved over generations, and they pointed at immigrants. Because it's always um, easier to point at someone that doesn't look or sound like you, doesn't have the same background as you, and you kind of create, you kind of demonize them. And I think that's where this notion that people come to this country not to make a better life for themselves and in the process contribute to making our country better, but to come here to live off our welfare system or to come here and kind of rob and steal and, and so on and so forth. And that's kind of a, a deplorable that that, um, that happened. It's deplorable that it continues to get propagated. Um, and I think uh, over time, um, it's a very, very dangerous thing for our country because 
um, immigration is critically important to continue the growth of the of the country if if the past is any indication. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know one of the unique things is we're also at a turning point this year specifically around kind of increasing the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly as it relates to race, you know, in America, um, around the recent murders of black individuals. And so I think, you know, one of the unique things is that we're also getting increasingly more diverse as a country by 2050, the minority will collectively become the majority. I think there's a lot of challenges that corporations are starting to face as it relates to internal kind of diversity. And so as young immigrants are entering the workforce or coming to America, what are some kind of values that they can showcase or like what would be your advice to those individuals to showcase the unique value that they offer as immigrants um, as they're entering the workforce or continuing their career during this tumultuous time? And and Brad, I want to just tackle on a a sub question to that because I think it's an important question, but at the same time, you've been and you are an employer and so you know how much more difficult it is to hire immigrants garrison is nodding his head because he has to he has a painful uh, task of making sure that all of our visas and green cards and applications and all of that are in order and the reality is it costs you know north of 10k to to hire an immigrant um and it's hard and it's not it's not certain that they're going to get that visa so I guess, how, how would you encourage employers to, to think about hiring immigrants and how would you encourage immigrants to think about, you know, communicating their value as, as employees? Um, as I was saying earlier, I think that uh, companies are not going to make really meaningful progress around diversity if they don't first um, really understand the economic value of it. At the end of the day, Uh, Companies do things to be good corporate citizens, no doubt about it, but mostly companies do things out of inspiration when it really drives economic performance. And as I said earlier, study after study shows that more diverse teams uh, create better outcomes. And so I think stage one is companies need to be able to articulate that. Um, and even perhaps wrap numbers around that so that the people who are running the businesses really understand that this is not about just being great corporate citizens. This is actually about forming effective teams that yield better results. And when you start from that premise, then a lot of the difficulty and some of the co- the cost implications of that can be kind of embraced in any in the same way as you look at investing in any opportunity to grow your business and if you think about bringing a diverse workforce into your company as an investment in your success rather than as kind of good corporate citizenry that really kind of changes the frame on um, and and potentially the, the the rate of progress that you make. The second thing is we kind of use the phrase offhanded diversity and inclusion, and we kind of somehow sometimes we use those as synonym, synonyms for each other. But actually, um, inclusion. Somebody gave me a great phrase one day. They said diversity is asking someone 
to come to the prom with you. Inclusion is asking them to dance. And I think that um, companies need to figure out a way that to integrate people who have um, an element of diversity to them, whether they're immigrants, whether they're just kind of people of colour, go through the list. And there was a great article written in the Harvard Business Review a couple of months ago around why that doesn't happen. The article was all focused on the fact that we talk about diversity a lot, but why isn't it happening more? And that is that as humans, we are hardwired to feel more comfortable with people who look sound like us and have similar backgrounds to us. Um, yet, uh, so, and, and companies are trying to make people feel comfortable in the office, right? And so those things often work against each other. And I think that when you say as a company that there's an element of feeling uncomfortable that's really healthy, um, building teams that make you uncomfortable rather than comfortable could be a sign that you're building more diverse and effective teams. They're some of the strategies that I think um, that companies can employ when it comes to just the, the sheer kind of cost and difficulty of uh, hiring immigrants. I think that is a political dynamic that um, is affected by whatever administration happens to be at, in the White House at the time. Um, and so I think that's something that, that is likely to um, ebb and flow depending on kind of the administration. Yeah, absolutely. Because immigration has a very different, as you mentioned earlier, politically immigration um, plays a very different role or is interpreted um, in a very different way depending on kind of which side of the political aisle you sit. It is not universally accepted and agreed that any longer that immigration kind of makes the country stronger. Yeah, and I mean, I think even around kind of the research of this holiday and, you know, to be honest, National Immigrants Day doesn't have the most visibility in the world, but it was officially recognized by Congress in like 87. Um, and that was 30 or so years after Ellis Island officially closed. And so knowing that the conversation around immigration and the way immigrants are viewed is really related to, you know, the political landscape of the day, but also just keeping in mind the thought and the purpose behind National Immigrants Day, which is really around the celebration of the melting pot that is America. What would be your recommendation for how immigrants can be celebrated and how kind of to depoliticize immigration to be more of a focus around the value add that um, immigrants offer? Look, I don't know whether in this environment um, it's possible or, or maybe sadly in this generation it's going to be possible to depoliticize immigration. I think sadly um, there that kind of idea that Im immigrants are here to take not to give has been very deeply ingrained in the operating systems of a lot of people um, by a few people and that's going to take a while to change um, hopefully it doesn't become the mainstream view and i don't think it is in this country the mainstream view but it's certainly a view held by a lot of people so i don't know that it's 
kind of really even possible in the short term to change that, I think what will happen organically is that we will just continue to see case study after case study after case study of immigrants who are actually um, making the country better. And then if we can find a way as a society and as an economy to uh, be more inclusive of all the subsections of our economy so that people that I mentioned before, whose life circumstances has not changed over multiple generations, if they start seeing that their circumstances um, are changing, if the economy does start working for more people and not just a few people, then I think we're going to see less of that kind of vitriol and less of that kind of looking for who's to blame because of the circumstance that I find myself in. And hopefully um, immigrants won't be in the crosshairs as much as they are right now of, of, of those people who are looking for something or someone to blame because of the circumstances that they're in. And in terms of National Immigration Day, look, I'm in two minds about that. Um, it's nice that we have a day to celebrate immigrants. I just, it, it shouldn't be one day though. It should be 365 days a year where we should be thinking about and internalizing the significant contributions that immigrants have made to our country, to our companies, to our society, um, across almost every dimension. And um, I think it's good that there's National Immigrants Day as a reminder for us to do that. But now more than ever, that kind of sentiment and the celebration of immigrants has to extend well beyond one day a year. I completely agree. And, you know, thank you so much for jumping into this because I hope that it will help us to raise awareness um, to one, some of the struggles immigrants face, but then two, also the importance of the diversity that we all bring to the table. So thank you, Brad. You're the best. Thank you. Join us again next time for another episode of Opportunity Makers, where we profile immigrants at top brands and showcase how they are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers.